0: This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley campus May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today.
1: If you want to be effective, you wanna have a really unrealistic goal. <laughs> a really, really behag, big, hairy, audacious goal. But I mean you want a goal that's so enlivening and so opening in terms of its scope and breadth, you know, that it brings to it great innovation, creativity, and imagination. And that's what Drawdown does.
0: That's Paul Hawken, author, entrepreneur, civil rights activist, and global warming provocateur, in a good way, as founder and former executive director of Project Drawdown. Drawdown's big, hairy, audacious project, reversing global warming worldwide. This is Dropping In from Omega Institute, a podcast that explores the many ways to awaken the best in the human spirit. I'm Karen Michelle. The words climate and change have become inextricably mixed. The language of competition and combat is used to describe the incendiary combination. It's a fight, a war, a struggle to defeat, and sometimes, less stridently, to mitigate. Paul Hawken doesn't like any of those words. To me, the language has been lacking
1: in terms of breadth. There's no breakthroughs in that. In your mind, your thinking, your heart, your imagination, and how we connect and do things socially. So you need an unrealistic goal to be effective, and our goal is to reverse global warming. It only makes sense. I
0: don't know of any other thing that makes sense, given where we are. The Project Drawdown book became a New York Times bestseller. It's a collection of brief essays offering 80 solutions to global warming some huge, some seemingly small, all of them either now being done or doable, Hawken says, by 2050. In front of an audience at Omega Institute, Paul Hawken acknowledged his initial discomfort with the book's subtitle, The Most Comprehensive Plan Ever Proposed. It's pretty brash title uh, subtitle, I know, um, but...
1: I I didn't like it at first. Uh, It was sent by my publisher. But the more I thought about it, I felt like, well, no one else has done a plan. And so it is the most comprehensive plan because (laughs) there's nothing to compare it to. uh, But it's important to understand when we say plan, it sounds like we have a plan, you know, we have a plan. We do not have a plan, you have a plan. Or or we together? What we found is that we have a plan. It's our collective wisdom. And when you step back and look at it, map it, measure it, you say humanity is on the case. We're not idiots, we're not fools. We actually have compassion, kindness, and generosity,
0: and we actually want to fix this. Fixing has been Paul Hawkins' lifelong work. As a teenaged volunteer with the civil rights movement in the South, as a healthy foods entrepreneur with Erewhon in the late 1960s, and now with global warming, we talked about his path from what he described as an unfocused Northern California youth to Project Drawdown, a global project aimed at literally fixing the world. It seems to me that that you have found a way to be entrepreneurial and respectful to the planet at the same time. That's not a normal combination, certainly not back then. No, it wasn't. In
1: fact, when I started Erwan, it it seemed to me that it should be a nonprofit or it should be a co-op. And because um, what I wanted to do was make organically grown food available at reasonable prices to people. And um, it wasn't really being done. There was health food stores, which did they were about health, I guess, but they weren't much about food. And I grew up on a farm and I wanted to make food available in the city the way we could find it in the country. Uh, fruits and vegetables and grains and seeds and nuts and all the good things. And so... Uh, but I discovered quickly, I didn't try to make a co-op. We were members of the Berkeley Co-op when we grew up, so I was familiar with it. But I just found it too constricting. And so actually, being a so-called for-profit business, I found much more freeing um, than any other structure. Unfortunately, that's true. <laughs> we have the Koch brothers. And we have Exxon and so forth. So, I mean, it's free. But it's also free... Uh it is you know, people do harm with it, but it's also you can do good with it and it's really about intention. It's not innate that business is harmful. Um it's it comes from the mind of the business person, really not from the structure. And so I Erwan was a so called for profit business and but it was just started with five hundred dollars, my money, and um bootstrapped. Never did have an investor.
0: So given your entrepreneurial background Do you feel that there's a way for business, big business, to become part of the solution for global warming? Absolutely,
1: and they are, actually. And it doesn't mean if you're big you're a solution, but there is ways for large companies to be incredibly uh, instrumental in reversing global warming. And there's ways for big business to be an obstacle to it. Again, it's the same thing I saw when I was young. And, um, but what I'm seeing right now is businesses way ahead of governments, way ahead of um, leadership on the, on the governing side in terms of taking the initiative. And it's really has to do with license to operate because most businesses have customers and uh, <laughs> those customers are changing. And most companies that sell to the public are aware that demographics are changing and what millennials consider good business is very different than what was good business 30, 40 years ago. And the other thing that I think um, businesses are discovering is if they want to recruit the best people, the top talent, the most creative uh, young people coming out of college, they have to have a pretty good pedigree when it comes to sustainability, the environment, and climate. And so it's been a real sea change, you know, which is
0: caused by youth,
1: actually, not by older people.
0: Now in his 70s, Paul Hawken is one of those older people. And while he may feel that it's the young who are more creative and innovative, as a grown-up, he's gained perspective. That's reflected in the conclusion of his opening essay in the book. It's a sort of manifesto. We see global warming not as an inevitability,
1: but as an invitation to build, innovate, and affect change, a pathway that awakens creativity, compassion, and genius. This is not a liberal agenda, nor is it a conservative one. This is the human agenda.
0: It's lovely.
1: Yeah, and it's also common sense <laughs> well, but, <laughs> to me. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's like, it's not, it's not meant to be preachy so much. It's just to say, look, you know, we're all in this together. We stay together. It's one Earth. You know, it only has one atmosphere, and. Um, So, from our point of view, this is extremely important that we find ways to the touch points where we connect in as opposed to being, again, being right, you know, being righteous. Uh, We don't blame, we don't shame, we don't use guilt, we don't use threat, we don't use fear, we don't use doomsaying to um, communicate in this book at all because other people do it really well and we don't think it's effective. And what is effective is to create a sense of possibility and my underlying belief, and it's a belief, but I, I think it's borne out by other people's experiences, that every single problem is a solution in disguise. And this is the most gnarly, super wicked problem ever discerned by humankind. Um, that is to say, global warming and its causes. And therefore, there's a plethora of extraordinary possibilities and solutions within this problem and we've been focusing on the problem and 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 repeating the problem and expanding on the, the the depth and the breadth of the problem and the rate at which the problem is getting worse all scientifically valid but not very motivating to people in fact it does the opposite people pull back they get numb they said i can't i, I don't I have, I, have a, I have a job i have children i have a mortgage my mom is you know, not doing well, I can't handle that. And indeed, that's quite true for most people because the way it's being communicated is about all about probability of what's going to happen in the future that's going to be worse than the, the future we have today. And human beings move towards possibility, not to probability. And so what we're unmasking the problem, you know, not just... What are you saying? You're saying we're fantasists? Who's fantasists?
0: We. If We, if we like possibility rather than probability.
1: No, we're not fantasists. We're practical. If you're if you're hungry, you move to possibility. You don't move to to to, you know. You don't go to the desert. You go to where food is. You know, and if you're thirsty, you go to where water is. That's being possibility. So it's we're here because we move towards possibility, not towards probability.
0: Well, do you feel that that this book then becomes a a, a handbook in the way that uh, the Whole Earth Catalog did in its day?
1: Yeah, I mean it. it it, it is a tool book. It is a, it, 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 you know, tools are things we use to modify, change, you know. Um, and this is full of tools, techniques, uh, technologies, practices. Um, and, but the difference between us and I think most climate organizations is we didn't approach it from the point of view of saying... Mm, this is what you ought to do and we know what you should do and don't you understand the science and if we did this, this would happen. And, you know, it's kind of a little preachy and didactic, and which is fine, but we just felt like it, it, it doesn't go very far, you know, because people are being uh, preached at every which way, midnight, you know, not only by advertising, but from NGOs and call to actions and requests and funding and this and that, we're just being assaulted, um, because of the availability of our names and our emails and um, all over the world. So um, we wanted to create something that was very different in that sense, with this, a spaciousness within which people could enter and try to, not try, but to make up their own mind about what they wanted to do or what was worthy of doing or what they wanted to get engaged with in terms of reversing global warming. And so it's a very different approach you know, than, say... The advocacy, you know, over the top, let's go, you know, they're bad, we're good, we're fighting, we can win that, that it's kind of a, a kind of a leftist fantasy really about about social change and and actually, we just don't believe we have time for that, nor do we feel it's effective. What we feel is effective is bringing us together, not dividing us, not being right. So we even we even say in the book, uh, I wrote it, I said, we're not right. this book is not right, you know. And because when you're right, you make somebody wrong. I mean, somebody else is wrong because you say you're right, right? Compared to what? Well, somebody's wrong or some things. And so we, we just say that, you know, all models basically are useless, not useless or wrong, not useless, excuse me, and some are useful. And we think the, model, the models that we use in this are very, very complicated, complex, grounded, science-based. Uh, are very useful in terms of understanding how we can get from here where we are today at 409 ppm and CO2 in the atmosphere to a point in time in our <clears throat> most of our lifetimes uh, in which drawdown um, occurs when greenhouse gases peak and go down on a year-to-year basis. And um, to, like I say, that's the goal. And then what we set out to do as an NGO was to use science-based um, techniques and modeling and 200 and some plus scholars and scientists and researchers and botanists and biologists and engineers and architects and business people and politicians and all working together to determine whether that impact was possible if we scaled existing solutions, that's the only ones we modeled, existing solutions that were already scaling for which we had a great amount of data, both on the science side, on the economic side. In other words, to see whether we had at hand in place uh, the techniques, tools, and practices, and technologies with which we could reverse global warming. We didn't know that going into it. We just knew we wanted to see if it was true or not true. And and so we set up our modeling to uh, prohibit bias from any individual or from me in, in about what should, ought, could be. And we're not interested in that. We were interested in reality. And people have said... That because we do, in fact, conclude that drawdown is possible mid century.
0: Um, right, middle of this century? Yeah. You're the only one who says that.
1: Yeah. Well, the only one who actually named a goal, too. Find it.
0: Well, no. It, there was a study, uh, the Rome study, 30 years ago that named a goal. It was just redone and it said the goal is impossible.
1: Well, uh, also, yeah, well, that's then that, that, we don't have to worry about that one. I'm talking about no one has <laughs> named the goal of drawdown. What they named the goal was stabilization and stabilization there's no stability at 450 ppm or 500 ppm that's not stability that's climate chaos and so to name a goal it's like okay we've reached this omega point you know where in fact you know the emissions are no longer going up that is not where we want to be where we want to be is where they're going down we want to get back to an uh 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 uh, an era of relative climatic stability. We have the tools at hand, that it's economical, that we know how to do it. This isn't you know, rocket science. This isn't something where something needs to be invented or something else has to happen that hasn't happened yet, and if it only did happen. No, this is things we know how to do and are doing. So Drawdown, the book, is not a small NGO in Sausalito saying, look, we have a plan, we know what to do, listen up. It's, it's not that at all. What it did was to go out into the world to determine and detect what it is that we are doing, what we do know, and again, what is scaling already, and to see if it grew, continued to scale in a rigorous but reasonable way, whether we could achieve Dvaran with the means, tools, and techniques, and technologies that we have at
0: hand right now? And the answer is yes. We'll get into some of those tools and techniques when we come back with Paul Hawken. But first, about Omega Institute for Holistic Studies. For more than 40 years, Omega has been hosting workshops and retreats on yoga, mindfulness, art, sustainability, women's leadership, health. It's a rich mix. And with this podcast, I'm introducing you to some of the remarkable teachers exploring Omega's mission to awaken the best in the human spirit. Paul Hawken was on campus to speak at the Drawdown Learn conference, held in collaboration with Omega Institute's Center for Sustainable Living. It brought together young people, educators, and community activists, and was one of more than 350 programs offered every year on Omega's beautiful campus. And it is, nestled in New York's Hudson Valley. To learn more about Omega, visit eomega.org. That's E-O-M-E-G-A dot O-R-G. Better yet, make this podcast your entry point into all things Omega. Subscribe to Dropping In, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, and tell a friend. When talking about something that seems mighty dire, especially if you're a polar bear or live in places threatened with inundated oblivion, Jakarta, Bangkok, New Orleans, or Kivalina, Alaska, or live nearly anywhere on this planet, it's hard to be positive. We're all affected and we're all culpable for causes and for cures. So it's kind of mm, refreshing to hear the enthusiasm that Paul Hawken brings to global warming. Because every problem, absolutely every problem, is a solution in disguise.
1: Every single problem, a problem in your relationship, it's a solution in skies. <laughs> you have to figure out the solution. <laughs> but you we've never seen such a super wicked, gnarly problem in the world, then global warming.
0: So it is redolent with what? Solution, right? Project Drawdown um, drew together a team of activists, engineers, policy analysts, scientists, advisors, philanthropists, and what are loosely termed essayists, Pope Francis among them, who mostly tell us what, well, we already knew. Clean energy is cheaper. Food waste needs to be stopped before it happens. Fuel saving reduces carbon emissions. The solutions offered are distributed into eight sections, buildings and cities, energy, food, land use, materials, transport, coming attractions, and women and girls. Why are women and girls women and girls a separate category in in your solutions?
1: Well, because they darn right should be because they've been excluded all the way up until now in terms of global warming and climate change. You know, you don't hear about women and girls. They're 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 not separate, they're distinct. I mean, all this the there's a difference. I mean, energy is not separate from transport. Transport is not separate from buildings and cities. Buildings and cities aren't separate from materials, and materials aren't separate from electrical generation. So, I mean, they're all connected. And women and girls are connected to everything. Um, but they're there as a sector to, to 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 focus on the empowerment of girls and women, and the impact that has on global warming or reversing global warming. So, when we when we um, model a solution, you have to um, model it with distinction as you have to be very you have to delineate it you can't just model you know uh, um, a part of a system but when you do model um, distinct solution whether it's you know is mundane as insulation or in stream hydro or solar concentration um, when you model that you have to then um, do vector analysis, which you have to see how it impacts other solutions and vice versa, and other pre-existing uh, infrastructure ways of doing things. You know, water, energy, food, transport, and girls is no exception. Educating girls and family planning. So we did that, and all our data came from the UN. And basically, it said very, very clearly. It says very clearly that if the difference between the high and median UN population. In 2050, 10.8 billion versus 9.7 billion is access to family planning. And what we modeled was supporting a girl's education, which is a pathway to family planning, and then also family planning clinics. So, two different solutions that come together that uh, have a huge impact.
0: Well, a lot of the, and at least in this one article here, the solutions. Um, cost money, including the first one, makes school affordable. It's you know improves school quality, um, childcare programs for young mothers. I mean they're all wonderful, but they take money.
1: You seem so cynical. Um, it's really astonishing to me talking to you. Of course, it takes money. What is money for? Like, you're, what's the money for? Is it better used for something other than supporting the 98 million girls in the world who aren't in school? Of course it takes money. That's what we're here to do, to use and channel our money in ways that make sense in the world, not that don't make
0: sense. Educating women and girls worldwide is ranked number six for climate change impact by 2050. But educating about climate change, say, in the U.S., another matter. A recent NPR-Ipsos poll found that in the U.S., more than half of teachers neither talk nor teach about climate change, and nearly that same percentage of parents don't either. And it cuts across party lines. During the Drawdown Learn weekend at Omega, teachers, librarians, students, and community activists, not to be sure mutually exclusive groups, brainstormed about building a movement to get the Drawdown approach into schools. They'll be back again to build on that work. That's clearly a huge challenge. I don't think I'm so much cynical as pragmatic. There's a long history of well-meaning folks, businesses, governments, putting money into projects designed by outsiders, often importing their values and methods, rather than adapting, incorporating, respecting, if you will, those the community embraces and embodies. As Paul Hawken notes in his concluding essay in the book, What it takes to reverse global warming is one person after another remembering who we truly are. And if I may, also remembering where we all are coming from. There's an online quiz about Project Drawdown's top five solutions for curbing climate change. The quiz provides the answers, and the quiz taker ranks them according to impact. I didn't do well. I'd ranked eat more plants and eat less meat as number one. It's actually four of five. The fifth being restore our tropical forests. The top three are first, manage refrigeration chemicals. Next, install onshore wind turbines. And third, cut down on food waste. These are things industry, policymakers, and individuals can do now. There's to be a sustainable future. Do you have grandchildren? Yes, I do. Uh, what do you see for their future in terms of living in this planet?
1: Well, I mean, what I see for their future is the same I see for everybody's future. And that is that climate is not a linear system. You know, weather is a complex adaptive system. And it's nonlinear and that means you can get regime or changes in unexpectedly where you go from one climatic regime to another and you never, nece- you never go back. And um, that's going to get worse. It's it's global weirding or global volatility or global, you know, I mean, call it what you want. I mean, the weather is going to get more erratic. And that means bigger rains, bigger floods, bigger
0: droughts. That's a hydrologic cycle, which is kind of, it's changed. It's not broken. It's just changed. Which is where you, where we come in. There's always something to be done. Among the 80 proposed solutions, there's reducing our food waste, recycling paper, and saving water at home. There's also high-speed rail and telepresence. Many of the solutions depend on ingenuity. At the conclusion of his talk, Paul Hawkins cited the movie The Martian as one cautious and pragmatic approach to problem-solving. Matt Damon as an astronaut, stranded, drifting in space, uses his poop to grow potatoes. Given a choice, Hawken notes, we may not choose to eat them, but in very real life, sometimes there isn't a choice, not if we're going to survive. So at the end of the movie, he's talking to one of the astronauts,
1: and he basically says, listen up, when I was up there, did I think I was going to die? Absolutely. Space does not cooperate. Absolutely. It's going to happen to you. When you're up there, everything's going to go south, and you're going to think and say, this is how I end. And you can either accept that, or you can go to work, and you do the math. You do the math, and if you solve one problem and you solve another problem, if you solve enough problems, you get to go home. That's what we're doing. We're coming home. This is our home right here. This is our home right
0: here. This is our home. Home on planet Earth. Dropping in is a presentation of Omega Institute, dedicated to awakening the best in the human spirit. If you like what you hear, tell your friends. And leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps new ears find us. And to learn more about Omega, visit our website at eomega.org. I'm Karen Michelle. Dropping In is written and produced by me. The editor is Katherine Stifter. The music and mix are by Scott Mueller. And Rob Harris is the executive producer. Thanks for dropping in.